This podcast is part of the How We Are Network. For information on this episode and many other like-minded shows, visit howweare.org. That's H-O-W-W-E-A-R-E dot O-R-G. Welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm your host, Ray Harkins, and I feel like I should probably like just record that and like put it in every single episode, like never change that, because I, I say the same thing. I always, in my head, I like try to get psyched up for like a different intro, and then I just always go back to the most comfortable thing that I do, and um, I'm sorry if that gets annoying. Maybe that's just me inside my head too much. I'm like, oh man, maybe I need to do something different. Keep people guessing. The guest this week is Mr. Wade McNeil. He is the lead vocalist for a band called Gallows, and he previously played in a band called Alexis on Fire and does a lot of other musical stuff, like Black Lungs, and he's a musically active dude. I've known him for what feels like 30 years, but is not that long. But I've known him for an extremely long time, and I've wanted to get him on the show uh, for a while. We've been trading emails back and forth and finally we were able to figure out a time to speak more on him in a minute <clears throat> let's talk about some stuff property of they are our media partners they pimp the show they represent us and i technically represent them it's a great site you need to visit there so you can find out about the newest records that come out what tours are coming through your town basically just to become more educated about music in general visit there it's your daily fix. They post a ton of great stuff a day, so do it. Also, there is a, there's a cool new development for the show. We are now part of this thing called the mid-roll, which uh, for those of you who don't pay attention to podcasts in general, which is most of you, there's a lot of podcasts out there. Uh, obviously, it seems like uh, I, I've heard someone compare podcasts to like student films, where it's like it seems like everybody has one and everybody is asking other people to do their podcast as opposed to in the past where it was like, hey, would you do my student film? Podcasting is, is this sort of you know weird business where it's like obviously people do this for free because they enjoy it but then there's also an element of like hey there's actually people paying attention to this show just because it's cool and fun rather than oh my gosh i need to pay a dollar for this show or whatever so there is this network of podcasts that have kind of come together and they have people that essentially sell ads for these podcasts and that is exactly what the mid-roll is and uh i got escorted into this uh via uh, a friend of a friend and uh the guy that i started working with over there is really cool and excited about the show and excited about what we're doing so uh essentially he's gonna try to get us some ads which is amazing and this is where you come in because honestly i'm only going to push the stuff that i personally believe in but there is a survey that is online if you go to the midroll.com backslash survey backslash words i will be posting that on the hundred words podcast.com site so that way you can take the survey and fill this information out it takes you like two minutes it basically just just shows who you are since podcasting is such a new medium no one knows who the fuck is listening to this so this tells you you know how old you are like where you live that sort of stuff just you know basically demographics if you do that for this show it really helps me out because i find out about you the listener and then in turn 
this mid-roll is able to give that information to advertisers. And I don't know, it just, it's an exciting development. And I really, really would appreciate if you did this. So yes, the midroll.com backslash survey backslash words. And if you forget it, hit me up on social networks and I will remind you. Review the show on iTunes. We've been getting a lot of new listeners. And for those of you that are just kind of sampling the show, I appreciate it. And if you dig what's happening here, go to iTunes, drop some stars on the show, one through five stars. And then if you're feeling ever so generous, write a review, type in some words, say what you feel about the show. I do really, really pay attention to them. I I check them almost compulsively. And anytime a new review is published, I just get so excited. So I'd like to give a shout out. I'm probably going to mispronounce her name. Soyara. (laughs) It's S-O-R-A-Y-A. Yeah, she's been listening to the show for a while now. And she wrote this amazingly beautiful review on iTunes. And I don't know, it's just, it seems so stupid that I like call this out, but it really does make me feel good. And obviously, like I've been shared in the past, you know, less alone that I'm like putting this out into the the internet and then uh you know people actually take it and it resonates with them that is what i'm doing it for not only for myself but obviously for people that seem to find a value in this so i really appreciate that i will talk about my guest after we talk to a very special guest that appeared on the show before his name is scott arnold he is what i define as the cultural critic for 100 words or less the podcast basically he goes out there into the world finds the best stuff for you to consume so let's talk to him it's been a while since we've had you on the show welcome back myself the uh the the culture has been building and you've been amassing a list to share i do um i read a book called 90 percent of everything okay inside shipping the invisible industry that puts clothes on your back Wow, that sounds interesting. What's what's the author? Do you know the author? Uh, I do. Hold on. Rose George. Uh, I think it was on the Matter magazine mailing list. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've always been fascinated about moving things around. Of course. Logistics. Logistics, yeah. I don't know why. It's something It's something that's so integral to day-to-day life, but no one, no one cares. Mm-hmm. Like, unless you're in the industry, no one really is like, I'm excited to see how this works. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. I don't want to give too much away. But. Right. You know, to, do you have one anecdote or story that you remember that was like, because it, it basically is just about how things get from point A to point B and like the... The systems, yeah, right. that are in place. How they deal with like storms and stuff is really interesting. And I'm presuming this is like international shipping yeah, too. Yeah, all around the world. Right. Yeah. Like how certain things take and five the, months. And the precision that they know they're going to be there within like 10 minutes and yeah. they know how long it's going to take to get everything off the ship and load everything back on the ship. Yeah. Pretty cool. Anytime you go to docks that's when you're just like yeah. you look at these massive shipping containers i took a tour of long beach one in a boat oh really pretty fun what do they do well long beach harbor is actually split into la and long beach but mm-hmm. it's the same body of water right so it was kind of like i thought it was gonna be this really long tour but it's like half of what i expected <laughs> and they just showed you like ships and cool yeah. features of yeah, the docks in the history got it yes that is very interesting it always reminds me anytime i see shipping containers now i just always think about the wire season two <laughs> Yeah, they all have drugs and yeah, like that. You're just like, how how are you even keeping track of what's in container 75 on ship 34? Computers, I know. But then you also think of Breaking Bad and how okay. they were shipping stuff to the Czech Republic. I know. And if you have a crooked uh, manager, <laughs> yeah, I was thinking. You know, there's, you know, everything's going to be like a drone eventually. Of course. Ender's Games come out. Soon. Right. Shout, shout, shout out. out. Shout out to an old or Orson Scott card. Yeah. So, 
Why don't they make drone shipping ships? So unmanned. Yeah. Yeah. That seems, I mean, because that, I think crews for ships like that are, I mean, they're like four people. There's like no one on No, there. they're bigger. Are they? Okay. 20? Okay. Yeah. But, I mean, I shout guess. Shout out Captain Phillips. I know, I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> shout, out to, shout out to Mr. Hanks. That's actually my second quick hit for the day. Oh, spectacular. Captain Phillips, did you see it? I have not seen the movie. I mean, I was already in love with Tom Hanks, but this most recent round of press he did, he, I mean, he basically just seems like the most average cool dude yeah. that's been able to like not fall into some egotistical trap. But anyways, so Kevin Phillips. Yeah, I heard him on like, the Nerdist podcast. I did. That interview is amazing. Why would he go on there? Because, well, because Nerdist has a direct relationship with, um, I think it's DreamWorks. They, they have some, oh. they get a, a direct pipeline into movie people. So okay, because I was going to say, can you call Tom Hanks? Yeah, can I get him on the podcast? Yeah. yeah, I'm sure he'd be like, oh yeah, yeah. Sure, that's what I do now. Right, right. That's what I do. I appear on podcast. 2013. <laughs> so I saw it a week after I saw Gravity. I yes. was really high on Gravity. Yeah. I'm like, wow. Did you see Gravity in 3D, IMAX? Would you? No, I saw it in like a really nice theater though. Like okay. No 3D ones. though? Just No, I didn't, I didn't know it was shot for 3D. Got it. I was in Nolan's. Ah, Nolan's? Yeah. Shout yeah. out Who Dat Nation. Who Dat Nation. <laughs> So I thought Gravity's like 9 out of 10. Right. And, uh, and then I guess Captain Phillips like, can't be Gravity. Kills Gravity. Kills. Yeah. The suspense. So talk, I was talking to our friends here. Yes. When you see Gravity, you know that it is George Clooney. Yes. Miss Bullock. Sandy. Yes. The whole time you kind of know it's them. When you see Captain Phillips, that is Captain Phillips. That's not Tom Hanks. Right. He becomes Captain Phillips. Sure, sure. Just another level. Yeah. Go see it. I'm looking forward to seeing it at one point. That's all I got for part one. That's good. Well, thank you for the, uh, the cultural hits on this one. You're welcome. So there. Now you've got cool stuff to check out. Thank you very much, Scott. So Wade McNeil, like I said at the beginning of the show, I've known him for years. We've toured a lot. And uh, yeah, I've got to spend a lot of time with him and get to know him as a person very well. And um, it's, it, I don't know, it's just awesome to be able to see a person be able to transition to many things in their life and still retain that sort of creative inspiration that obviously sparks all of us to, you know, do creative stuff. It, it's crazy because Alexis on Fire was a fucking massive band. In the States, we have no concept of it because they were a band that, you know, played venues that were, you know, four to 600 capacity sort of venues. And there was kids that were into them and it, the shows were fun. Travel up to, you know, Toronto, Vancouver, anywhere in Canada. And they were a legitimate mainstream rock band playing arenas. Like, it's difficult for me to try to explain that if you've never seen anything like that. But I mean, you know, they're like you're playing the same sort of venues as like a band like Muse would play. It's just, it was insane. And so to be able to kind of go through that relatively unchanged as far as his own personal beliefs and ethics. And, uh, you know, that's a hard thing to do because there's this level of sort of scrutiny and stardom that happens, especially with an independent music where, you know, the moment that any, any small amount of success kind of happens, you, you either get criticized or it's just not cool anymore. And then for them, for him to obviously live past all that criticism and then still just be able to exist within the world of punk rock and hardcore is awesome. So anyways, here's my discussion with Wade. It was over the phone, and so there are times where it gets a little dicey, but for the most part, it is an amazing conversation. Here it is.
people, people like us, they get older. They do. They reminisce. So, yeah, I think most of the interesting stuff that happened to me was, uh, I'd say it's behind me now. Right. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the best stuff is behind us, you know? Everything else is, uh, you know, just downhill from here. Here here I am. I want to say early, I want to say 2002, maybe. I can't remember exactly, but here we are. Lockport, New York. Lockport's, Lockpark Skate Park, uh, which I, I don't know if you remember that venue at all. Yes, I do. And I think that that was the first time that my band and your old band ran across each other. I just remember it was such a weird experience for us because you guys came up to us and were like we really like you guys and we were like how'd you hear of us like that doesn't make any sense to us at all and then not only did you guys obviously like specifically travel to play that show uh with us but then you played and it was like what where the fuck do these guys come from they're really good when you play with bands on the road like especially from like a sort of quote-unquote local opener you never play with good bands oh it's usually uh i think we can agree the local openers is usually like pulling teeth yeah um, and, uh, you know, that's not like, you know, every once in a while you get really surprised. Yeah. You know, some old guys show up and you're playing like with a stoner band yep. and you're like, Oh my God, thank you so much. Totally. Thank you. Thank you for playing. Totally. Um, but by and large, I think, um, the local opener is like showing up and, uh, maybe this is a more of a sign of the times thing, but I kind of found the more that we toured, uh, they, they kind of show up and they'd have nicer gear than us. And stuff, and they they play one show in their town every day, right? Like you know, like a couple times a month, and it's always a bummer. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, we we I think there may be more to that story than you you really understand, and even like because we were, you know, we loved your band, right. and we're, we're at that point like, we got to go on tour with Taken. You know, I think you guys were pretty much a lot of this the epitome of a lot of the stuff that we were obsessing over at the time, you know? Yeah. We were really liked, uh, we really liked a lot of that kind of level playing record stuff, that kind of era screamo, as well as some kind of, you know, more melodic hardcore stuff. And you guys were kind of, I think a, a, a marriage of a lot of that stuff. Sure. And so we're like, we got to go on tour with this band. One of our friends from our hometown actually put on that show somehow oh. in <laughs> Buffalo. Right. So a guy from St. Catharines promoted that show in Lockport. So pretty much, you know, he put us on the show because he's we grew up with him. Right. And uh, pretty much the whole thing was an elaborate ruse, all leading us up to me doing this podcast. <laughs> I know. That, it was basically a long con. Yeah, a really long con. And <laughs> so this is the resolve of it. Wow, I can't I can't believe we're here. That's amazing. Well, I'm glad this is finally paying off. I mean, you know, when you when you have toured, obviously as much as you have. You meet a lot of people, you meet a lot of bands, but then there's those bands that you meet that just immediately kind of like, everybody gets each other on certain levels where it's like, okay, you know, the singers get along with each other and then like, you know, the drummers are just like nerding out over shit. And it's like, that that happened in a matter of like two and a half hours with all of us where it was like, oh wow, like, dude, these guys is an Alexis on fire. Like, not only are they great, but they're good dudes. And they shred on skateboards as well. <laughs> Um, yeah, I guess for also to like set the scene a little bit for people listening to this, um, you played in the middle of a half pipe, which is definitely the, uh, the best part about yep. playing that club. Yep. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, when you by and large, I think I, I've been really lucky touring over the years that I've met some incredible people, people I still keep in touch with that are all my best friends are people I've met through music and through hardcore and through punk and, and you pretty much know right away. Yeah. I mean, you show up on tour, you show up at that show, and you know if you're going to get along with somebody, you know, instantaneously. And I think, by and large, over my music career, I've been I've been pretty lucky in that respect. And there's been a 
there's only been a handful of bands that, you know, you show up on day one and like, this, this tour is going to seem longer than it should. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, with us and you guys, I think we, you know, we really hit it off and, and those were, that was like our first, that was our first tour of the States, you know, or, or maybe our second one or kind of our first comprehensive tour of the States where we went everywhere. Right. Well, yeah. Cause I remember you guys played with us before, like, you played a show with us at that spot before we agreed to tour with one another. And then obviously that tour that took us around the States, which I still to this day, I think that's probably one of my favorite tours I've ever been a part of. And like you said, just to set the scene, it was such a fucking weird tour of <laughs> between the buried and me, it dies today, us and you guys. And it was like, it just didn't like stylistically, it made sense from like, okay, Alexis and taken, they sound like one another. And Between the Buried and Me is this band that doesn't sound like anybody. And then It Dies Today is uh, amazing metal moshcore. And it was like, how did that work? It just did, I guess. As you said, I think our two bands were a, a good pairing. At that time, though, I think every band we played with kind of sounded like um, It Dies Today. Those were all the shows that were happening. Yeah. Um, kind of that was, I think that was kind of the common theme in, in hardcore was kind of bands that were really kind of you know punishing, kind of sounding stuff like that. Um, I say punishing in a good way, right? Right. <laughs> um, because I just would remember we'd tour and we'd show up and we'd be pushing our gear out to set up. And I'd tell the guy that you know, there's no sound man. It's like the the kid that put on the show that you know borrowed his friend's PA, and he'd come up. And I'd say, yeah, we need three mics, and he'd say, yeah, well, we've only got one. <laughs> yeah. And because uh, every band we would play with sound, it was like a beat down metalcore band, and you know they obviously just got one dude. So. um yeah, I think most of the bands we were playing with, especially in America at that time, all kind of sounded like that, you know? And then between the Buried and me, I mean, I don't know who they ideally should tour with because they sound like every band, all types of musical styles in one song. Anyways, that, that was a nice walk down memory lane. I just like that was that was just my first introduction to you guys and obviously how we became friends since. You yourself, born and raised Canadian? I don't know that answer. Yep. I was born in uh, Hamilton, Ontario, which is... Uh, this kind of steel city town. I'd say kind of like, reminds me a lot of Pittsburgh, yeah, actually. Good point. Um, so, you know, similar kind of size, I think similar kind of working class city. And so I was born there and uh, I've lived in a variety of small cities kind of in the shadow of Toronto. So yeah, I've always lived here and then I am Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> maple syrup, maple syrup running through my veins. Yeah, Amer- America's hat, as they say. Uh, That's you know, I don't like that. I don't like yeah. that. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's like it's easily the most derogatory term of Canada I've heard. Oh, there's. I'm sure there's some worse ones. Yeah. That's but. true. Yeah, I guess that's the most. Uh, maybe a better way of putting it is the most passive aggressive way. <laughs> so the uh, what was your what was your family structure like? Brothers and sisters were. I've got a younger brother. Um, who's four years younger than me. So uh, I guess, you know, for the first part of my life, he was, there was a large enough age gap where he was young enough that he was very aggravating until he turned about 16. And then we dragged him along on the road with us and he did merch for us for ages, which was pretty hilarious. And now he's in medical school. So, uh, <laughs> so over, the, over the past few years, he has transitioned into becoming the older brother. Right. Because uh, as you know, touring just really stunts your your growth developmentally. And uh, I mean, although I've you know not toured as much in the last couple of years, I'm still playing catch up on um, acting like an adult. Right, right. No, that's I, I totally remember when you started to bring your brother on the road. That's an interesting uh, train of thought because I, I obviously I didn't keep up on what he was doing, but that's funny that he 
experience that. And then he, so he obviously didn't want to continue to travel and go on the road and stuff like that. He's like, no, I'm going to do this. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, just uh, he's always been very academic, and uh, I think he enjoys the traveling. Like he's at he's at med school in Europe. He's at this school in in Poland, actually, and I think uh, it allows him to travel around Europe. You can, I mean, everything's so close over there. So anytime he has any sort of lag, you know, he's in Sweden or he's in Prague or whatever, right? So that's awesome. That's awesome. So yeah, he still has the the traveling thing, except just not obviously on the the band level. Yeah, just not just not punking. Right, right. Not not traveling in vans and or uh, you know, God, what do they call the the touring buses in Europe? Sleepers, sleeper cars. I don't know, whatever. Something. Yeah. Uh, what were your what were your parents doing at the time, as far as uh, you know, like their jobs and stuff like that, as they were raising you guys? Um, my mom was a uh, nurse up until. Uh, my brother and I were born, and then she stopped working to look after us. Nice. Um, and then she went back to school and got her master's and her PhD. And around the time, I guess we were maybe about the time I was 15, she started uh, teaching, like as a professor okay. at this university, teaching kind of um, a lot of things around nursing and uh, health and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. she became a professor. My dad uh, is an orthodontist. Wow, and- I, did, I did not know that. So that's is, yeah. that, that's why you that's why you've got good teeth. Yeah, got to take care of those pearly whites. <laughs> got to take care of the money maker, right? <laughs> you know, you got to you got to pull the van over side of the highway. You got to brush your teeth with that warm water bottle of water. Um, <laughs> got to stay on top of it. Yeah, no, I understand. That's, that, that's cool. So the, you definitely had a very, um, I guess, for lack of a better term, a, a suburban upbringing. Very much so. Like, I mean, St. Catharines is a is a small city. We moved there when I was probably about eight or nine. Um, it's it's like any, a lot of other small towns that people would say are nice to raise a family in, which means there's absolutely nothing going on. Right. Um, that's probably, you know, what kind of started my fascination with music. And uh, I don't come from a musical family. Neither of my parents, you know, play anything. You don't hear about very many, uh, I guess, musical orthodontists. That's not <laughs> not so much. No, no. So, the, so basically, as you, but your formative years, for the most part, were that was like you were primarily living in St. Catharines, right? Yep. A funny thing about St. Catharines too that you know, because people hear St. Catharines and they're just like, oh, it must be in Montreal. But it's like the, it's literally the first city you get when you cross the border from Buffalo to Canada, and you're on your way up to Toronto. And it's like, yeah, exactly. It's almost. In some fashions, it's like almost identical to Buffalo, except not as, uh, I guess, run down in certain parts, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'd say it's it's quite similar. I mean, there's just, you know, it's just an imaginary line with some toll booths separating the two places. Only everyone talks wildly different. Right. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. that 20 mile divide, that 20 mile divide. Um, so, yeah, it was really close to the States. And um, I grew up going over there a lot and uh, still do. Did your... Um... It just because obviously I've never experienced uh, being on the other side, i.e. being Canadian. What was the view? Like, did you ever have this sort of like, oh, that's America. Like, that's where people go to be successful. Like, was there any was there any like view that you were raised with that, you know, like once you started to go over to the States, was it just like, oh, this is exactly like Canada? Like, well, where did it sit in your no, head? I think it's very similar. I think I always thought it was pretty um, as you, you know, you're you're passive aggressive crack about Canada before, I think that's very much how America views Canada. Like, we would go there, and I, I always go, like, snowboarding um, in Buffalo, because there's, it's, you know, right on the water there, and there's a lot more snow, but you'd go over there and go snowboarding, and people would be like, oh my god, you're from Canada? Yeah. Oh, it's insane there, right? Like, so much snow, like, like crazy. And I'm like, no, I'm over here. 
right. snowboarding. Right. There's more snow. It's kind of it's like people, even though it's just 20 minutes away, it's kind of this, I think, a lot of Americans view it as, oh, it's this mystical land of hockey and beavers and, and all those things you would, like, maybe associate with Canadian postcards. Yeah. Um, and I don't think there's much of a draw for um, – the Americans love America, and uh, Canadians aren't very patriotic. Mm-hmm. I think uh, people – you know, I love this country, but um, no one's particularly patriotic about it. Sure. And uh, so I think that's maybe one of the main differences. So, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't think it's ever a thing where people, I don't think many Canadians grew up imagining moving to the States. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think so at all. Yeah, that like that that is this dream to like, oh man, one day I'm going to grow up and then I can, I can move to America and be successful. <laughs> No, it's more, I think more people think about, like, you know, I'm going to play, I'm going to go pro, I'm going to play hockey. (laughs) Right, right, right. (laughs) So as you started to, you know, go to like junior high and high school and uh, started to experience that, when did, uh, when did music start to play a part in your life? I'd say I, I, um, you know, I always listen to music, but when I kind of started getting really into it, I got a guitar when I was probably in grade seven or something like that. I don't know, maybe 12 or something like that. That's the time I started kind of uh, listening to music a lot more and uh, getting into things like, you know, I got some Metallica records. And then um, the, I started taking guitar lessons around that time. And uh, I had this really old Italian dude who played a PRS, I remember, guitar, which <laughs> I still to this day think, you know, I mean, if you own a PRS, you are uh, you're just a huge turkey. You know? Right, right. <laughs> ridiculous um so i think that speaks volumes about that guy and um you know we were carefully going through the book and he left took a job somewhere else or quit or something like that and then i got this really young metalhead guitar teacher named dennis with really really long hair told me to, i gotta go see his band play who are called uh, the wicked voodoo cannibal cult <laughs> and um oh my god so we did the stuff we did the, we did the you know the lesson from the book and at the end he gave me a flyer for the show and so I went to go see the Wicked Voodoo Cannibal Cult open for um, Electro Goth St. Catherine's Pioneers MDM Martyr Diablos Martyr. <laughs> um, so, uh, I went down the show and uh, you know, kind of it was a really small show. There's probably you know 15 people there, and uh, which is what I think about to a lot of the shows that I grew up going to. No matter how amazing I thought they were um, or how fondly I remember them, there's mostly. You know, a big show is maybe 40 people or right, something. Right, you know? right. And, uh, and so uh, that's kind of my first taste of music. And, and after, you know, I was like, what did I just see? Like, what are these bands? What's this music they're playing? So that next day, one of that next week when I went in for guitar lessons, I kind of started talking to Dennis. And he's just, we kind of stopped. And he said, what kind of music do you like? I said, oh, I like, I really like Metallica. And he said, well, do you want to learn how to play that? instead of this stuff, you know, I could kind of get my, you know, I had some chords together and stuff and, and, uh, so I was like, Oh, that'd be, I didn't know that was possible. Right. So he, he kind of started, you know, he started learning the black album. And then when he showed me how to play that, he showed, he brought in like a white zombie cassette. And then I started, you know, and then we learned all those records through the kind of, I think the next musical evolution for me was the wicked who changed, they'd shortened their band name. By this point, no longer the Wicked Voodoo Cannibal called just the Wicked um, opened up for uh, Graves Era Misfits. Oh, okay. Um, so on that American Psycho record, mm-hmm. 
Um, by this time, I'm in grade nine. I've probably been taking guitar lessons for about maybe one year or something like that. And why did you what Why did you pick up? I mean, like, why guitar? Was it just one of those things where it's like, oh, it makes the most sense? It's kind of compatible. yeah. I just I think it was something inherently wanted to do it. You know, sure. I, I always yeah, I just wanted to do it. I don't think I ever gave it too much thought or anything. I want I'm not. A, I want to be a guitar player. I want to start a band. Just uh, I, I'm interested in guitars. Got it. And so. Um, I went to, uh, I'd heard about that show, so I was on my way downtown on the bus to buy tickets to see The Wicked and The Misfits, and I met uh, Chris Steele, realized after talking to him for a few minutes, I played hockey with, and I played baseball with, and uh, I knew he looked kind of familiar um, when I was younger, and uh, he was also on his way down to buy Misfits tickets. And so Chris from Alexa Fire and all these other bands that I'd done before that, um, that's really when I met him. And we made plans to go to that Misfit show together. So we went, and I think both of us, he was probably listening to similar types of things as I was at that point, you know. And we both went to that show, and it was like the first weekend of being in grade nine. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, we left, like we saw The Wicked, and then we saw this like crust band called Razor Eater who uh, were just, like, nuts. The guy, like, sp- I remember he sp- sprayed, uh, like, a big can of, like, Lysol in his mouth. Okay. Well, they were playing, and then just started, like, dry heaving, and I was like, what the what the fuck is going on? And uh, then the Misfits played, and it was, like, crazy. And uh, so that, you know, we kind of left that show on this big high, you know, and there was all these freaks there, and, you know, like, there was the, like, the, the sharp skinheads were there fighting with like the, the bonehead skinheads. And, and there was like this big brawl outside of uh, the show when it was done. And, and uh, all these Nazis were getting their heads kicked in. And it was like, what is this? Like, what is this going on in our city? Like this, this exists right. and this music and this music is a soundtrack to it. Just that night changed us both on this kind of profound level that, you know, made me so obsessed with punk music that, I think it, you know, it's kind of infiltrated my life in a way that I'm, you know, I'm still completely obsessed with it. Yeah, I always love when people have those really descriptive uh, moments of going to a show, and then obviously that sort of like that singular moment being like, well, okay, looks like I found this. I'm not going to do anything else for the rest of my life. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that really kind of changed things for me. And then, you know, I knew who Danzig was, but then I found out that because I liked that metal stuff. And that's the stuff I was learning to play on guitar. And then I found out Danzig used to sing for the Misfits. And then I started getting all those records. And then you just start to dig. Um, and at that time, it was obviously harder to find out about music. But, you know, I'd go through and I'd go through the layouts of those Misfits records and they'd be wearing Necros shirts. And then I'd go and order that Necros record. And, and you kind of like see it like that. And, you know, they they played with the FUs and then um, I saw, you know, you see this stuff and you, you just keep digging deeper and then you come across all these bands. Yeah. And so, yeah, that was kind of like a big kind of musical awakening for me. As you started to dive into this, it kind of a two part question, but did you give a shit about high school at all? Cause it sounds like obviously your parents are intelligent and they had a desire for you to succeed. Not like most parents don't have that desire, but <laughs> I'm sure they were like, Okay, wait, wait, you know, they do very well. much, they very much looked at school like it's a means to an end and, uh, and that, uh, you know, you work hard, you get good grades, you get into a university, you get, uh, good marks, you get a good job, you make a good living, you lead a happy life. 
Mm. That's very much the way they, I think, uh, their conservative way of thinking. So that was very much impressed upon me to a point where as I became more and more obsessed with music, I think in that first year, um, I know the my dad, the guy that owned the music shop, like talked to me after one of my lessons and and say like, hey, you know, you can't you can't really make a living playing music. You know, I can't like I you know do I play weddings and stuff and you know and and pretty much told me to stop and do my homework. And so I got I think I started getting into quite a bit of trouble that year. Uh, I guess punk you know started to ruin my life a little bit. And uh, so I um, got into a little bit of trouble. I got suspended over um, some uh, weed-related oh. stuff. Okay. Um, and then my parents said, you need to straighten up and fly right. We're sending you to a, to a boarding school. So uh, for grade 10, pretty much didn't exist because I was sent to a private school, mm-hmm. um, which is more like a military academy. Um, and I was like forced to do cadets and, uh, jazz band and stuff. And I showed up, I said, Oh, I can play guitar. He said, we've got a guitar player. You play the trombone. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing that you're, well, not amazing, but that's like the fact that your parents immediately reacted to the situation said, okay, he got busted for weed at school. You're going to boarding school. Like had, (laughs) had warnings, uh, kind of led up to that. Like, did you know that boarding school was in, you know, kind of a threat? Not really. I mean, I think it just all kind of culminated with that. You need a new circle of friends. You need to do this. This isn't the way things are going for you. So, so yeah, I mean, essentially grade 10 didn't really exist as far as, um, you know, me doing anything or going to any shows because I couldn't. Like there was supervised study, you know, there was all this stuff. There's school on Saturdays. It was pretty crazy. It's very intensive. Did you, did you just hate your parents at that point where you were like, fuck you, very, yeah, very much so, but I never saw them that year, so it didn't really make a difference. So you just you just seethed from a distance. You were just like, oh, man, I can't wait to lay into them when I see them. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Okay, okay. But one thing that did happen, I mean, there was a bunch of people, I think, that were kind of in a similar situation to me uh-huh. that were there. And I, I think I met more people at that school than, um, that liked the same music as, as I did than were at my old school. Okay. Like there was there was there was no punks at my old school. There was there was Jesse who played drums in Alexis. He was there, um, and we'd skate together, and we started getting into the same stuff. We started going to all the same shows. He also was suspended the same time as me, involved in the same thing. So he left and went to a different school. Um, so he wouldn't have been there anymore. Got it. Um, and so when I went to the school, like I was there the first day, and there's like this older guy that was in grade twelve, and I remember like. I was in the the washroom of like my it was because I had a dorm because I stayed there, mm-hmm. and he was wearing like this sleeveless guar shirt, and he was just like completely hammered. Uh-huh. And he was like, he's like, hey, I'm Pat. Nice to meet you. He tried to shake my hand while he was pissing. Um, and I was like, hey, I'll get you in a second there, buddy. Yeah. Um, and he's like, oh yeah, that must be kind of weird. Anyways, so him and a few of these other guys, like there was these brothers from North Carolina that loved like. They were super into like ska and stuff like that. And, and that year I really learned tons about music because um, I was there all the time. And it's also the year I started like partying a lot. I mean, they did all this drug testing and stuff at the school. So I couldn't uh, smoke pot anymore, um, but I was away all the time. So and I was hanging around with all these older guys. So they would just go buy kegs. And uh, I like learned about all these bands and 
And, uh, you know, these guys from North Carolina are like, oh, we've got this band. Um, you got to check out all these Asian Asian Man Records bands. Um, my, right before I left for school, my band back home, we opened for this band, Link 80. And so I started listening to all those Asian Man bands and getting into that stuff and learned about, like, Alkaline Trio and um, Lawrence Arms and, and Blink-80 and all that stuff. And, um, but, you know, started getting really into that. Oh, but but so prior to you entering this boarding school, you had already started to kind of put together a band and you played a show? No, 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 sorry. I was saying one of the guys I met, his band. Oh, okay. Um, got it, got it, got it. But um, I kind of, I guess, over the course of that year, realized that I could kind of scam out of things. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I didn't really need to be there for study and stuff. And so I actually started my first band that year, later in the year, and um, which was called Plan 9. Okay. Um, which is, you know, I guess has to do with my obsession with the Misfits at that point. Sure. And, uh, and then we played our first show while I was at that school, um, at this Chinese restaurant. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, but also as a result of that, like being, doing through that, that regimented system, like I got like straight A's Mm -hmm. and didn't have to go back there the following year. When I returned to my old high school in grade 11, yeah, I I had a band and, uh, things were a little bit different. It just, it's so funny because like, obviously in hearing you describe your experience there, it had the complete opposite effect of what your parents were trying to do besides you getting good marks in school, then all of a sudden they're like, hey, let's introduce you to a bunch of other, you know, misfit people that uh, are into, you know, quote-unquote more extreme styles of music that Wade hasn't been, ex- <laughs> Wade hasn't been exposed to yet. And, uh, yeah, let's just go ahead and uh, give this all to him while he can't go anywhere but spend time with these people. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting in that respect, but I guess, like, you know, you were just forced to play by the rules. So, I mean... Sure. I, you, you, were, you had to excel, you know, you, there was kind of no way about it, but I think I, over the, you know, kind of, once I realized what I needed to do, I kind of started to, uh, bend the rules as much as possible there. <laughs> well, yeah, just, it, it's funny. Cause I'm sure, like I said, that wasn't the intended reason why your parents wanted to send you to that school. It's like, oh yeah, let's get him more into music. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so as you started to progress through high school, did did Plan Nine continue to exist until Alexis came in the picture, or how did that? Uh, yeah, it did. Um, that band was starting to. I started promoting shows like when I went back to public school, and obviously I had, wasn't going to school on Saturdays and doing all these you know forced things. Um, so yeah, I started promoting shows, and that's when I met George from Alexis. He he always comes see Plan Nine, and we lived in a small enough city that I mean the kids that had leather jackets would nod at each other, right? Right. I'd see him at the one record shop and stuff. And we kind of became, you know, friends through that, Mm -hmm. um, through shows. And he was a little bit older than me. And I went, he'd drive us to a few shows and stuff. And uh, um, I guess around that time, I I met Dallas, who he asked my band to open for for his band's Helicon Blues CD release party. Oh, yes. And then um, we played and left and he called me the next day. And I was like, God, you guys were awesome. You left without getting paid. Um, and I'd never been paid for a show <laughs> up to that point. Right. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, oh, we got like 200 bucks for you. Like, oh my God, it's yeah. insane. Right. Um, hey, mom, so, hey, mom, um, I made it. Because I was at an actual bar, because I would like promote shows at this like Jamaican bar where they've let us like essentially let young kids in and like let us do whatever the hell we want. Uh-huh. And this Chinese restaurant, which is like in the basement of this crack hotel, pretty <laughs> much. 
were the two places that let us play. Why why did you why did you want to promote shows? Was it just basically to make it easier for yourself to obviously get shows for your own band? Yeah, I just had a necessity. Yeah, um got it. like you know, I went and dropped I went and went by the bar where all the big bands play and they're kinda like just laughed me off because I was, you know, probably just turning sixteen or something. Yeah. And uh, I probably would have been 15, actually. So, yeah, kind of a necessity. So we just started doing our own shows. And then all the older, like, kind of punk guys that, you know, bartended there and had bands, they eventually just started coming over to our shows because people started hearing about it. And then, you know, we got started getting show offers at that place. Yeah, I met Dal, and after that show, he said, could you book my band some shows? And that was right around the time that I was wanting to do something a little bit different mm -hmm. and i think my musical tastes were changing a little bit and i was i was starting to listen to a little bit more hardcore and uh just getting irritated with punk shows and punk cliches and right. people coming out to our shows and saying they shouldn't have to pay and, and puking everywhere and <laughs> dressing like sickness and just all these the cliches that i mean it's even at a, you know at a very young age i was starting to find very very irritating right so in my mind at that time, hardcore was like the answer. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't as pretentious and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, which I, after, you know, going to a bunch of those shows after a while, you realize a whole new set of problems. Of course. Um, so, yeah, starting to listen to that and starting to get into Screamo and stuff. And I think just for some reason, those records, like those Sasha records and um, yeah. page 99 and all that stuff resonated with me a little bit more. And uh, so I kind of really wanted to do a band like that. Got and it. after seeing more and more hardcore bands, um, I wanted to be in a band where I didn't sing. Like I, you know, sang a bit, but we had a front man. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I asked George and Dal called me to book some shows for him. And I said, oh, why don't you come jam with us? And then that's kind of how Alexis got put together. And so as you as you were finishing school, and you know, your did your were your parents still reacting pretty like, oh man, like you were still into music, you were still doing this, or did they kind of I, I guess become resigned to it? They're like, okay, well, Wade seems to be really into no, this. They're, they're very much very discouraging of it. Okay. Um, but you know, when Alexis started, um. We just really, really, all of us had this kind of insane work ethic and, mm -hmm. and not to like, not to get the band to a certain place, but just to play because we were obsessed with it and we loved it so much mm -hmm. and all we wanted to do was play. So, I mean, we just started playing out of our city all the time and, you know, doing things like, yeah, I coming up to, to Buffalo to play with you guys and we were playing nonstop to a point where it was, you know, obviously affecting my, my studies and stuff and you know, we'd be away and it was pretty much like, you know, I kind of had a meeting that like, if you miss any more days, you can't graduate. Mm -hmm. But around that time, like we got a publishing deal with EMI, we got signed to a record label. We made our first record and it started, things really started happening really quickly. Right. And I, that was when, you know, when my, my parents maybe met someone from EMI that was like some sort of businessman type character, like my father. Uh -huh. And he heard someone else say, no, this is really something that, you know, they kind of were like, oh, okay, well, maybe it's okay. You don't want to go to university. Right. Yeah. So that, that like that validation from someone of who they could consider a peer. That's interesting. Cause it's like, yeah, yeah not everybody has that, uh, that experience or, that, that ability for connecting your parents to the business world of music. And it's like, yeah, that's some, sometimes 
a parent doesn't get it until like all of a sudden they're watching their kid play in front of like you know 400 people where it's like oh this means something to somebody <laughs> yeah for sure you hit on a point that i think is really interesting where it's like it, you did i mean from my perception like once we met you guys and obviously started to see what you guys were doing on your own um it, it was like it reminded us of the work ethic that we had as well where it was like okay uh, you know, we, we didn't really fit in with the scene here in Southern California, but that didn't matter. We'd play with anybody, we'd go anywhere, whatever. Um, and then once you guys started to obviously get traction and things really, Canada for, you know, embraced you in ways that, you know, most independent bands don't get within the first year of their existence. No, absolutely. And I, I, that, that was kind of the cornerstone of our whole career. I think that allowed us to do we had such a loyal fan base in Canada, you know, immediate kind of not immediately. Cause I mean, we, you know, like most bands, we toured tirelessly to no one right. forever before anything started happening. Right. Um, and, uh, but things started to happen in Canada and that allowed us to, to go to the States and play to no one for right. years, <laughs> years to allow us to like, to allow us to have enough money to put gas in the van. Right. I know. And to go and to go to Europe for the first time and lose money and, and stuff like that because we could come home and and play play a show to keep you know to pay our rent right yeah I, I thought that was to me that was like one of the most interesting moments like I remember a show that we played with you guys we played at the I think it was the Bug Jar like the Rochester New York venue um, yeah yeah where it was like you know that was like about a I don't know a two two hour drive roughly from you know St Catharines. Um, and I remember you guys telling us as we were like kind of, you know, nearing that show, we're like, oh, that show will probably be pretty good because we'll have some of our kids come out to it. And it didn't make sense to me where I was just like, oh, like, what do you mean some of your kids? It's like, oh, oh I get it. Some kids from Canada. And it's like, yeah, the show was really good. It was solid. But then, you know, you could literally drive two hours and you guys can play in front of, you know, 800 people at that moment. And it was just like, dude, like, like you were, we were talking about earlier where it's like, it's fucking 20 minutes to the States. And like, there's this imaginary divide where... The states never cared. I mean, you know, in, in a grand scheme of things, the states never identified with what Alexis was doing on the same scale that Canada did. No, and I mean, it got increasingly as the band continued to grow, and the band would grow. It just kept exponentially growing in Canada um, to a point where, when we finally did our first Cross Canada tour, we were playing to like a thousand kids a night. Us and Billy Talent did our first Canadian Cross Canada tours together. Mm-hmm. Our first records came out. At the same time, you know, we were playing these, it was our first, both of our bands' first times out there. And, you know, in Vancouver, we played to like, you know, eight, nine hundred people or something like that. And it was, it was insane to us. Right. Completely insane. But that next day, we drove to uh, uh, Bremerton, Washington mm-hmm. for the first day of our American tour. And we played to the bartenders and like a bar fly. And uh, that was day one of the American tour, you know? Yeah, it blew my mind that that, like, existed. And I know it it added, you know, obviously knowing you guys as well as I did, like, it was such a weird thing for me to watch on the outside to be like, well, here's our third time through Southern California. And, yeah, we're playing the same exact venue to roughly the same exact people that we played the previous two times. And it was just like, well, okay. I, I mean, it didn't make you guys I mean, at least from my perspective, it didn't make you outwardly like bitter to the kids that were attending the show, but it definitely got to the point where you guys had to be like, well, we just can't do this anymore. Yeah, it got to that point where we, because we always toured the States like crazy. And it's not that we dislike touring it. It just, I think, I think everything changed when we went to, to Europe for the first time. And we went and uh, the shows were great. 
mm-hmm. like we were able to headline in England and play to a couple hundred kids everywhere. And people were like, knew all the words. And we went there and we we're like, we don't even know if our records are out here yet. Right. And they, and they were, but like, you know, it was, it was that kind of thing. And, and then when we started doing Europe and stuff, we we're kind of like, there's, you know, there's a lot of places to play in the world that, that people really want us to come. Mm-hmm. And the world keeps getting a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. And then we kind of just thought, oh, we don't need to quit. We don't need to just keep bouncing back before between Canada and the States. You know, there's like, let's go play Germany. Let's go play Australia. Let's go play Japan. Right. Yeah. And that, which I thought was such a like a lot of bands when they start to, you know, be successful in one, you know, for lack of a better term, territory. Um they they don't like you said your world is kind of that territory and then all of a sudden when you start to expand it just a little bit and you know you put in the hard work elsewhere and then sometimes it pays off sometimes it doesn't but when it does pay off when it's like oh wow this is cool i didn't think people would care over here but they do yeah it's really interesting and i mean it was really i just love traveling and and meeting people and and you know it's really interesting to me to to go play these shows especially the first time in europe where there's there's a massive cultural divide. There's a massive language divide. And we can't really talk to people at the show. And it's this very isolating experience all day because you can't speak English. The only people you can talk to are in the band. You're sick of talking to them anyways. Yeah, when you, you go and you travel and, and it's time for the show and all of a sudden everyone knows the words to all your songs, but they're singing along in English. And you have this huge connection with people that, you know, grew up incredibly different than you in a different part of the world speaking a different language. But there's this common thread with everybody. Um, that was something I found really remarkable. And it was kind of, it was cool to travel and see like uh, kids here kind of look like the kids back home and a lot of bands shy away from touring Europe because it's not easy. And we were just really enthralled with it. And we we're like, well, we just got to come back. We got to do more. We got to go to more places, you know? Another interesting thing that I think, uh, you know, a lot of people didn't, uh, or at least I never weighed into consideration when you guys basically got to the point where, for lack of a better term, you know, you were a mainstream rock band where you would be recognized in public. Well, and we, we like to call it recognized. Rock, yeah, exactly, yeah. recognized. You guys, and obviously where you came from, like, I'm sure as it progressed, I mean, I'm, I'm sure as it progressed, it got, uh, I wouldn't, maybe I wouldn't say comfortable, but you guys, uh, you guys got used to it. Was it, was it just insanely weird for you to be like, wait, why is it like, why is this happening? Like, well, I get. Absolutely. I show- mean, when we started the band, bands that sounded like we did and bands that sounded like all the bands we were touring with, there was never any conceivable hope of your band getting big. I mean, as I said earlier, all the shows that I went to, you know, the biggest show that I would go to when a band would come through town, like, I don't know, maybe 10 foot pole played. And there were 70 people there. And we're like, what is this? This is insane. So as this music that we played, which was really all over the place and really quite abrasive, um, Mm -hmm. started gaining popularity and especially in a very mainstream way, you know, our videos were getting played a lot. Eventually we even started getting like radio play, which I think is just a, a large part of Canada championing its own bands uh, which is something that's really great in this country um, is Canada's love for the arts. But um, it just, it didn't make sense because all the bands I grew up listening to and, and the shows I went to, there was, there's never very many people at them. And there was definitely no, never any thought in our mind that may, oh, maybe this could be our job. It was just our, our passion. Right. And did, did it ever get to the point where it was, uh, you know, it was crushing to you guys where it's like you had, you know, you kind of retreated 
and not, not maybe like just publicly where you're just like, dude, I can't like, I don't enjoy this sort of attention that's being uh, put on me. Yeah, I mean, it got weird. Like, I mean, Alexis had nothing to do with punk, but we all grew up going to punk shows. And so I think our approach to everything was very DIY and just, you know, the, the way we approached writing music and creating our art and everything and just doing everything. So, I mean, you know, the band was getting really, really huge and it got to a point where, okay, well, I can't, I wouldn't call myself the tour manager, but, you know, I go and get paid at the end of the night and I do this and this guy sells merch. And, you know, it was getting to a point in Canada where, well, we couldn't do that anymore because we'd just be not getting harassed, but just talking to kids and I mean, to take pictures and, and signing autographs and stuff, which, you know, at first, as you said, right. it was very bizarre for us. Um, and I almost didn't want to do it because I didn't want to put myself on some sort of pedestal. But after a while, you know, you just do it. It's people are just resonating with something you do. And if you can, you know, make them happy by signing something or taking a picture, that's, mm. you know, that's awesome. And so, I mean, it did, I guess, become a little bit more, we, we, we got used to it after a little bit, but we definitely did have to retreat. And then we, the shows got bigger and we needed to hire more people. And after a while, you know, we were like, we had a full crew, like a crew that was big enough that they needed their own bus. Right, right. Because that's how big yeah, the shows were. It was were. just so, it, it was so interesting, like I said, just for me to literally follow alongside of your guys' career and then know each an individual member uh, so well. And just obviously seeing all the different not only each one of your personalities was so different, but then the kind of different directions you were pulled where it's like, you know, you had yourself who was continuing to be active in music besides just the output from Alexis from obviously like, you know, the black lung stuff you were doing. And like, to me, it seemed like you kind of, uh, you know, to, to use two examples where it's like, obviously you have, you know, what Dallas did with city and color. And then you had what you did with all of your musical projects. You seem to swing in the direction of like, this, I'm going to continue to express what I am at the root of a being, which is like just, you know, a punk musician. Um, and Dallas was obviously expressing himself at the root of his being, which is a Jeff Buckley worship. <laughs> and so it was like, it was interesting yeah, to watch both of you guys yeah. do that. And still obviously try to maintain the uh, the ship that was Alexis. Because by that time, it was like, you know, this full-fledged business that you guys had so much weight in your shoulders for. Yeah, I mean, I think for me with the, you know, I mean, I love music. And so I wanted to do something else. So when we, what I really wanted to do when I started Black Lungs was like, I want to start a band that can play with mm -hmm. Fucked Up and Career Suicide. Because those are the shows right. that I go to when I'm at home. So George and I started, like, I wrote all these songs, George started playing bass, and that's what started with Black Lungs, and then, you know, as the touring became more difficult, things changed, and the, the record ended up right. being kind of very far away from that. And then kind of coming around full circle, and we put that record out on Deranged, that um, was kind of exactly like that, really right, bratty right. 77 stuff. Um, so I always looked at it as, well, this is my main thing. It's it's not that it's not music I love, but everyone in Alexa on Fire has a very mm. different idea about music. So that's why our music sounds the way it does. You know, everyone hears the song differently, and, yeah. and I think that's why it worked. But the stuff that I love the most, um, if I'm going to do something by myself, I'm going to try and start a band that sounds like right, right. the Germs. And with the, uh, like I said, with the sort of the, the weight that uh, kind of, you know, the weight that exerted itself on you guys from just like the, the business perspective, obviously, you know, it pulled you guys apart for some years in the fact that, you know, when Alexis went on hiatus and stuff like that, were those, were those some of like the most difficult times that you went through in regards to like, oh, well, I get pulled apart from these people because of, you know, weird business shit that's happened over, you know, X amount of years. 
Um, or was it, in a way, was it kind of relieving because you could kind of pull away from it and then appreciate it later? I mean, it was very, like the last couple of years were, were very straining in that respect about kind of everyone trying to find their own way and being mm. pulled in these different directions. So touring wasn't the, you know, carefree yeah. experience that, you know, like when you, like the, we, we weren't the band we were right. when you, when we toured with Taken and we certainly weren't the band we were when you came out right. with us on that hot water music tour, you know, things had changed. And, and that's, I mean, obviously people change and, you know, life changes. So when things, you know, finally, I think when we were taking the hiatuses, it was really weird on everybody. Like what's going to happen next? But just, I think in life, you know, it's the not knowing that's always the most difficult. Um, but I think, you know, when I finally, when Dal had quit and I'd talked to him and he, you know, said, I just can't do it anymore. And he was totally out. And I tried writing with some other people and just, it wasn't really happening. Everyone was kind of, right. everyone was on a different page, you know? And so when I kind of finally made my mind up that I don't want to do this anymore, I think that was, yeah. it was pretty freeing actually, you know, kind of making the decision, well, I don't have to do this. It's been everything up to this point, but it doesn't have to be in the future. And that was, it was a great feeling, but it was also terrible because I knew I had to go in and talk to the guys. A lot of times it's like it, those decisions that you have to make that are extremely difficult. Like, you know, that's, that's adult shit. That's stuff where you're like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to have to do this, but I have to because this is the way that we need to move on and we need closure. But then at the same time, you're just like, wow, this kind of opens me up to all these new possibilities that weren't available before. Yeah, well, it was it was very strange for me um, because right around the time the band was, you know, we were we were floundering for like a year after Dal quit, and I'd been writing some stuff, and I thought, oh, maybe I'll just work on Black Lungs full time if the guys aren't really into it, you know, if we're not going to make another record. And then I'd sat down with our label, and they're like, what's going on? Is Alexis practicing? What are you doing? And I was like, honestly, I don't think. Mm -hmm. I think the band's over. And kind of shortly, like a few days after that, I got this call from Gallows. Like, hey, our singer quit. Do you want to come be the singer? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's kind of that blunt. And, uh, you know, I listened to the, and it was like a message. And they called because they probably didn't think of the time difference. And they, you know, they'd left the message at like, you know, 6.45 a.m. or something. And I was like, is this real? I listened to it a couple times. Called my girlfriend, who's now my wife at the time. I was like, hey, I think I just got asked to be a singer at Gallows. Yeah. That's weird, eh? And she's like, that's the best. And so I called them and, you know, I kind of was like, what's up? And I said, hey, you know, we want you to come over. We got this tour booked in the fall. We want to go into the studio with Joby from the Bronx. They had all this yeah. stuff planned out, you know, like they had the whole year planned out. And their singer quit and they had this, this, this solution. As I kind of made up my mind before then about how I didn't think Lex was going to, it was done. And it'd been a year after Dal quit. And they told me all this stuff. I was like, yeah, Alexis is definitely done. This is how you continue on if you want to be a band. And uh, so I went and talked to the guys and said, hey, um, I got asked to be a singer at Gallows right. yesterday. Like, we don't, I don't want to, I'm not saying I'm quitting Alexis on fire, but mm -hmm. I got to do this right now. Right. Like, this is something I got to do. And they're all like, whoa, okay, well like you know kind of like right that fucking sucks but i think you know it's like we all kind of knew nothing was happening and so as much as it they didn't want to hear it you know it's still kind of the way things were going right well and plus and plus it's kind of uh, in a way there was some there was some meaningful event that had to move that forward as opposed to just kind of like well we'll just let this sit for a while longer it was like no like we need to you know shit or get off the pot as they say 
Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, I mean, that was obviously a hard conversation to have. Like, you know, it was kind of like this, it wasn't as big a blow as Dal quitting because that was the first thing. Like we, that kind of came out of nowhere. And then a year had kind of settled and nothing had been happening. We were all just kind of, you know, you, you life finally catches up with you mm-hmm. after a little while. Like we were on the road for 10 years straight by that point, you know, and then it's kind of like, you know, we get off the road and we actually don't have anything booked. And it's like, okay, people are having kids and people are getting married and buying houses. And so it's not like everyone was like, okay, we don't even live in the same cities anymore. Right. So at that point, it was like, okay, we'll show up for band practice every day and then go get Taco Bell. You know, things were right. things were really, really different. So, yeah, that was kind of, I guess, the catalyst of the thing that, you know, the tipping point, maybe. Right, right. <clears throat> it, had, not, had it not, I think we would have maybe just nothing happened. Yeah. There would have been no closure on it. We would have just, like, left it. Right. And moved on. And the, yeah, I think it's interesting that, how you phrase that where life catches up with you, where it's like, you know, some of the times, because, you know, touring life, as you well know, fended state of animation. It's like, you know, you can you can view it one of two ways where it's just like, obviously, it's this amazing experience. Not everybody gets to do it. But then at the flip side of the coin is that, OK, my life, I'm, I'm just putting, you know, a pause button. I'm putting a pin in it right now. And I'm either, you know, kind of just running from the stuff that, you know, other people do from a responsible adult like you were you know referencing earlier and it's just it's hard it's hard to kind of reconcile those two worlds and be like how can i be a functioning member of like life and also still have this like other semblance of you know my own passions it's so hard yeah and i mean that's something i still really struggle with and i mean life is all about balance and i think there's really nothing harder than finding a balance between you know your music career and your personal life yeah and, you know, I don't want music in a lot of ways completely defines who I am, but it's not the end all be all at this point in my life sure. where it was before, you know, now it's something, it's something I love and something I do, but you know, it's not everything that I am, you know, I've got a life that's outside of it and, and something that yeah, it's, it, you got to kind of fight for to yeah. have. Right. Well, I, I, I think that's, that's a really important point. Once you're conscious about it, like once you actually, you know, you're 23, 24 years old and you start to pay attention to like, okay, like where am I going to be in, you know, whatever, five years or so that that's when it, that's when it all kind of starts becoming real and it starts to crash down. And then you do start to look, like you said, for that balance of, okay, you know, how can I be a normal human? Like, how can I go home and like, <laughs> how can I exist in this world and not, not be this just this alien that visits you for two weeks at a time you know complete alien yeah yeah so yeah i mean that's something that was you know a real struggle at that point and and so we were all kind of like dealing with those things like you know living our lives and spending time with our girlfriends and you know families and so it's not like everyone was waking up every morning even though i'm sure we were thinking about hey we got to figure out a way to maybe keep alexis going but it wasn't the first thing on anyone's mind right right the transition into Gallows, like you said, it was a, it was a weird opportunity, and you took it, and it's been successful. Was it um, weird for you to kind of jump into an already existing property, you know, like an already existing band, to be like, especially especially from the idea that you had to shatter so many expectations of what people had from not only your past but Gallows' past as well? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, I was expecting it to be worse. To be honest, I was expecting all hell to kind of <laughs> yeah. come crashing down on me. Uh-huh. And it was actually pretty well received. Like, I think uh, I was was bracing for the worst, you know? Right. But, uh, you know, we kind of played that, we played that first show and people started stage diving and stuff. And I was like, I mean, that felt crazy because I'm not holding the guitar, but it felt good. 
and now it really feels like second nature, you know? Um, right. But at that time, it was it was crazy, you know what I mean? Because because at that time, when I'd been asked, they hadn't announced that their old singer had quit. Alexis hadn't announced officially that we were going to break up because we hadn't decided. Right. And um, so everything was kind of really up in the air, and it was a really crazy time for me. I was doing some really crazy stuff. Like I was like, oh, maybe I should start doing yoga right. or something, try and balance myself. <laughs> Dude, I love, I, but I, I, I'm glad you said that because it, it definitely is one of those things where it's like you, you know, you start to do, you start to think about things in ways that you're just like, dude, who am I? Like, what, what, what am I even talking about? Like you said, like, you know, doing yoga or whatever. Like, oh, I think I'm going to take up jogging or like, you just start to think of these things where it's like, oh, I guess I'll try this just to feel like normal. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I was just trying to exert some sort of control over everything at that time, which I guess was about two years ago now, which was everything was just wildly spinning out of control. <laughs> right. I felt like, you know, and, um, you know, I think that, you know, after all the announcements were made, like the sun came up the next day and everything was everything was okay. Right. You know, um, but then I had kind of the long road of, well, we got to go play that show everywhere mm-hmm. where I jump off the balcony and smash a bottle over my head. Right. And we have to do that everywhere in the world now to shut everybody up that said that, you know, Gallows won't be with the same, with their new singer and you know the band's done right so we kind of started that long campaign of cramming it down everyone's throat yeah that must have in certain ways that must have been obviously also really fun just to be like well we're kind of taking this like nihilistic approach of being like well we don't have anything to lose at this point besides you know people having a certain expectation of us so let's just go ahead and kind of go balls out yeah i mean it was it was great i think um you know kind of like a thorn in the band's side was the guitar player steph should have quit when his brother quit mm-hmm. i don't know why he stuck around because uh, he just stuck around for two years and had a terrible attitude about everything and didn't work hard mm-hmm. which was like you know when there's someone that doesn't want to be there in the van in the studio it's a black cloud and obviously I mean, it was difficult for him mm-hmm. with his brother not being around but he made the wrong decision to stay obviously and eventually quit right so i think uh things would have been a bit different had he not been around mm-hmm. from the beginning but uh you know i think we went out and the other four of us just really smashed him like felt like we had something to prove whereas i think he was kind of on some sort of soul searching mm-hmm. thing and you know it's you know obviously you know your career versus your family life which is what we just talked about right. was obviously a difficult thing that he was wrestling with but um you know we we booked our way once around the world and just started hitting it obviously a lot of ink has already been spilled in regards to you know the the final alexis tours and stuff like that and i you know that that's already out there. Uh, but the, you know, in your own personal life, the fact like, you, you know, you've got married and you've obviously, you know, you've been with your significant other for a long time and you guys have obviously gone through a lot of the trials and tribulations like together. Um, you know, was, was that, I'm sure that was like an extremely important part of you trying to, you know, kind of find that balance you were looking for back home. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think luckily I had some time off to try and for us to work on, you know, Mm. talk about what the next step is and, you know, second dogs and mortgages and marriage and all that stuff. And yeah, I mean, it was, it was obviously nice to get some closure with the Alexis dudes and do that final tour, um, which was great for all of us and just to get everyone back out there. And, and right after that, which was kind of the crazy, a really crazy month was my wedding. And, you know, so to kind of go for that tour and, and had we not done that tour, 
I'm not sure if all of those guys would have been at my wedding. Right. You know, but we got together and, and, you know, we're able to celebrate all the years and all the great stuff we did instead of the last kind of fallout of, you know, like when any band breaks up, it's never a good vibe. Yeah. So we were able to do that final tour and, you know, kind of set things right with all of us. And then, you know, we kind of had this big party a few days later, like we finished our last show a couple of days later it was my bachelor party. And then two days after that was a wedding and like everyone was there and it was, you know, it was a great time in my life. And then I had some time off to, focus on you know trying to be a regular human being yeah after that you know it's really i'm glad you mentioned like how it seems it seems to me that like when you guys were obviously putting together all the you know alexa stuff the fact that you know you were doing it just as much for yourself as you were doing it for obviously the people who had supported you it was kind of like well we have this we have this position to kind of bring ourselves back to reminding us of why we like to hang out with each other in the first place yeah absolutely and i mean on that level it was amazing um and also like the all the shows were great and i think you know initially what it started is maybe a, let's just do one show and that'll you know that'll end it right right and uh and then i think the demand for everybody and it kind of just showed us how much people cared about it you know reminded us about that and that's why it turned into a kind of like once around the world crazy whirlwind month but uh, yeah, I mean, it was on a on a personal level for all of us. It was it was great. You know, it was an incredible tour. You know, for us to all hang out with our best friends, and then um, and then like yeah, I mean, for everybody, the band was such a big part of our lives and a big part of a lot of people's lives. You know, so for, I'm glad we could end it on a good note for all of our fans. I'm just very happy for you because obviously it sounds like you are, like you said, you're sorting out how the band life intersects with your own personal life and. It's nice to be able to have that, those two things, you know, peacefully coexist because, you know, like you said, it's all about balance, trying to find it. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I mean, it's it's still a struggle and it'll continue to be one, right. but uh, I think I'm getting a bit better at it. So that's awesome. life is good. That's awesome. Well, I really appreciate you hanging out, Wade. It's always nice to chat with you. It's been nice catching up, Ray. Well, uh, I will talk to you later, bud. All right. Thanks nice talking to you, buddy. All right. Bye, Wade. So there you go. That's Wade. Pretty sweet dude, right? Um, I have yet to have the privilege of watching Gallows play live, but from all the videos I've seen, Wade definitely doesn't fuck around. It's awesome. So I highly suggest you check it out. And uh, yeah, keep up with him on all of his social networks because he's uh, he's quite prolific on those things. Visit 100wordspodcast.com. Visit propertyofzack.com. And I've got so many amazing shows for you coming up. So subscribe to the show. Every Tuesday, I'll hit your iTunes box or whatever podcast catcher you may use. So thank you very much for checking out the show, and be safe, everybody. 